listen to uh, the end of chapter 4. Um, the greeting section of this letter, in verse 7 down to the end. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Please pray with me. Lord God, as you sent your Son the Word, we have your Word in ink. We ask that you would write on our hearts, that you would cause us to understand as you've so humbled yourself to address us directly in our speech, that you would cause us to understand and that we would found find ourselves in our life understandable. Instruct us. Train us. Glorify your Son, we pray in His name. Amen. Christians hear this. The force of the gospel is applied by both formality and family, and you have a part in both. I'll say it again. I'm using the words perhaps unexpectedly. The force of the gospel is applied by both formality and family, and you have a part in both. Why do I speak of force? Because Christ has risen from the dead. 
And just 3, 1, Colossians says, He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and He rules over all things. And He rules with power. Not force in the sense of brute compulsion. The force, the power that takes the dead and makes them living. Not some grasping and invading that, that makes the dead into zombies, those who do not what they would do, what they do mechanically. This, this is not a, a force that holds people under fear and guilt and contempt to do what they ought to do, must do. There's a force here of life from the dead. There's a reason why the Bible's really central word for obedience is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what Christ has done. This is the force that goes forth into the world. Advancing the gospel. As we've looked in the last few weeks in, in chapter 4, this is, this is what's happening. This is what Christ is doing. He's advancing the gospel. Advancing his kingdom, both locally in, in, in our small reach and, and distantly, so that, that Paul said in 4.2 following, pray and pray also for us as we seek to go where Christ has not been named. Changing the world, a real force in history. The force of the gospel is applied by both formality and family. Now, by formality, I don't mean etiquette, though, though etiquette's a good thing. Small ways in which great things are, are honored and referred to. No, uh, by formality, I mean that imposed order. It's conspicuous to us, officers of the church, elders and deacons. But it's not just conspicuous, it, it breathes through. There, are these obligations in becoming a member of this congregation? You took vows. And, and while those vows, they, they grab up and hold you know, bunches in your hand, these clear things of the scriptures, you realize an order has been imposed. You have taken a place in this congregation. And the force of the gospel is applied through that order, through that formality, but also through family. And, and, and not just the similarity, the, the likeness, um, a group with all the same quirks and they don't even notice them. It's a family, you could say. But with these affections, and, and, and all affections are not enjoyable. You become irritated with your brother as no one else. You forgive your brother like more impressively than anyone else, as it were. No, it's the opposite of indifference. It's the opposite of, of being atomized. The force of the gospel is expressed making us a people. Certainly a people with a common purpose, but it's more than a common purpose. An army, an army has a common purpose and an imposed order. But all the, all the best stories about the army 
are grounded in camaraderie. More than that order. More than the pieces arranged and the strategy set in motion. But, but those men in their loyalty to one another. The gospel, that force creates this family, this common life that we have. We have a common purpose in the advance of the gospel, but, but in that we have a, a common life that we share and again, and really a, a common life that, that hums from our common worship. All that we have together really does come out of our meeting with God. And we have a common longing, a common marveling at Christ and expectation and longing to see His glory going beyond our horizon, further and deeper and richer. That's what's going on here. That's what Paul is doing in writing this letter to the Colossians. And we need to be very clear, this is a letter written on a day to a certain group of people with very specific matters in mind. But it is. It's a display, a, a documenting that the force of the gospel is applied by both formality and family and you, the Colossians, but you now, just like them, have a part in both. Maybe it would help to give synonyms, formality and family. People have often talked, spoken of the church um, in the Reformed tradition as being both an organization and an organism. An organization where the pieces are put together and work just so. You, you can draw that mechanism, but also an organism, a thing with an animacy that, that, that really is inexplicably rich and you can't quite expect, but you can tell that it's healthy in all the way it surprises you. Organization, organism, a formality, things that we observe, a family. Ways in which all is flavored, all is tasted. So let's talk about that force for a second. It is quite essentially the authority of the saving king. That's where this letter centers. Christ indeed died and rose in his seat at the right hand, and his authority is outreaching. It is an action. It's not in obeyance. It's not waiting. It's working. He is working. Now, Colossae is sort of a small side town. It's a little farther from Ephesus than is Laodicea. And Laodicea is a little, well, it's not Ephesus. Colossians is a little past Apex, you might say. Colossi, the city. A little further than Apex, not quite Harnett County, maybe. But a small place. And Paul's writing to these people. And he's never met them. His connection, this is back in the beginning of the letter, is that one of his, as he would say, fellow workers, Epaphras, has preached the gospel. And Epaphras has been the minister, the speaker of the word, who has brought them to faith there in Colossae, and it seems probable also the church in Laodicea that's mentioned. But Epaphras has gone to Paul and made report to Paul, and Paul 
instead of sending Epaphras back, has written this letter because there's a crisis. And that's what we've been working through over these many months. Uh, there's a crisis. When people start to say, it's crucial that you be a good enough Christian, that's, that's complete confusion. It's crucial that you be a Christian, that you trust in Christ, and you're being good enough. Um, that, that's quite the opposite of having your all in all from him for you. And so Paul writes this letter to these people he does not know. If Paul walked down the street, none of them would recognize him. But he writes with authority. He's the apostle. And, and with your familiarity with the, the scriptures, you, you, you recognize he's the apostle. Like, like his words are the Bible. Like, that, that's, that's Paul. But understand, that's the thing that has to be, be said. Listen to Paul. This is Paul talking about his ministry earlier in the, in the letter. At chapter 1, 25. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul has never met these people. He knows about them because one of his fellow workers has been preaching the gospel and they've come to faith. And he says, God chose me so that you would know. God's work in the world. What happens when his son is risen from the dead that, that sinners would be righteous and live new life? What happens is Paul talks. He is claiming an authority. And that's what's happening here. That's what's being underlined. We could say promulgated at the end of this letter. The authority, this formality that thrives within this family. And I need to pause for a second to, to think about this. The apostle, his personal authority beyond the local church. And I need to emphasize this because um, this is a part of the discussion the church has had around this passage and similar passages. And in our time and place, it's not a discussion. It's a thing that um, I don't know quite what to say. It just doesn't, you don't hear this echo. Paul is here speaking of an authority beyond the Colossians church. The Colossians don't know him, they believe the gospel, and because they believe the gospel, they need to listen to him. They need to receive him. We'll see how he puts forward others who are associated with him that should be received by them. So historically, this has been understood one of two ways. The ministry of bishops, you see this in the Anglican church and the Roman church and the Eastern Orthodox church, Bishops, people who, one guy, very apostolic looking, or worked out more systematically in the Reformation, but it existed before that in various places, presbytery, a plurality. But this has to be understood. Whether it's a bishop or it's a presbytery, what's happening here, this has been the understanding of the church, and kind of until America got here and fixed everything, 
is that there's an authority in the church above and beyond that of that local congregation. Now, this is what people refer to when they mean, when they say, I don't like organized religion. They mean that there are people who are going to tell us, here's what it is. They're going to impose certain things. There's a formality that I didn't get to decide. And that seems very foreign as I look around to our reference points, what we see is acceptable. I don't know if we would rather have disorganized religion. Um, it often seems that we do. We, when I say we, I'm saying this seems to be what, what is our normal, our idea of, well, that would be right, is a spontaneity. Nothing imposed, nothing structured, just it all whips up and wow. We have to take this seriously, that Paul comes to these people simply because they have believed the gospel, which Paul preaches, not from Paul, but from these others. And therefore, they ought to listen to him. They ought to receive him as this central figure in God's work in the world. That's authority. And Paul is saying, and I'm a preacher, I, I am. He really says, it is by the preaching of the gospel that the universe is changed. The force of the gospel is applied through this formality, these particular people, and through the family that goes with it. It's so interesting because Paul's posture, while he speaks of himself as like this, this bottleneck for history, when he speaks of Epaphras and Aristarchus and these other people who's, if, if you've read your New Testament close, you'll recognize those names, but if you read the rest of the documents that we have from the ancient world, you wouldn't find those people mentioned. They're, they're, they're unimportant people of some organization. Paul treats them as his peers. He, he doesn't call them his delegates per se, though they bring his authority when they visit churches. His phrase for them is, they are his fellow workers. I am Paul, the apostle, working for the advance of the kingdom. And Epaphras is my fellow worker, and Justice is my fellow worker, and Demas is my fellow worker. And it is this, if you will, double helix, inseparable thing. If you get rid of one, the other will fall apart. That we find as the way the church thrives its mission. The force of the gospel is applied by formality and family. And, and, and you, where you sit that two-by-two two chair, you have a part in both of those. Now, the, the way this works out here in these, these final greetings, Paul talks about all these individuals, and there's, there, there, there's, there's so many things of interest, but Essentially, we see this issue of formality and family walking along through these three different sections. Verse 7, he talks about Tychicus and this fellow Onesimus. Now, you're not familiar per se. They might have heard of Tychicus from Epaphras. They know Onesimus. As Paul says, he's one of you. Yes, he's one of the Colossians. 
um, how to put it, he's the one they've all been talking about for a while. Sometimes under their breath. Some of them have prayed for him. Uh, there's a scandal here. There's a big problem. And then at verse 10, he turns and speaks of his fellow workers, those, those with him. And he's really talking about these people who are set apart, what we would call missionaries, for the gospel ministry. And then at verse 15, he gets local. He mentions particular local people. Um, Archippus, this uh, lady Nympha, although the, the name Nympha could be a, a man's name or a woman's name. It's, it's rather ambiguous from what we know. And he talks about brothers, family, in the town of Laodicea, other believers. And walking through this is this formality and family pairing. Because the force of the gospel is what's going on here. And it's by faith in Christ that Christians live together and work together for the advance of the gospel. So look at that first section, verse, verse 7. Such guests will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Um, notice that Tychicus and Onesimus are described, praised, with the same words. Faithful, beloved brother. Now, Tychicus is a minister and a fellow servant, but, but faithful, beloved brother. They're going to tell you everything that's happened here. Tychicus is going to encourage you. Onesimus is a slave. The short letter to Philemon is a, is a letter from Paul to Onesimus' master, his owner, reporting to his master, Philemon, that Onesimus has come to faith. And Paul asks him to receive this man back as his brother. And if this man has def defrauded, or the word may just be plain stole from you, to please forgive that. Um, now, we don't, it's, it's not clear to me, and scholars, as we refer to them, are divided, whether Paul is in Ephesus, which is a couple days away, or Rome, which is, depending on the time of year, weeks to even more than a month away, how far. But this is what we know, is that this slave left and in some way or other harmed the financial standing of his master. That's a public event. Everyone who has anything to do with your household is like, where's Philemon? Maybe the first couple of days they cover it. We're not quite sure. It's, it's, you know, he's, it, we, we think he's been courting this, this, this woman over. He's gone. Your slave left you. Yes. Your slave ripped you off. Well, maybe. So, the members of the church, they know this as well. He's from among them. 
interesting. Paul will later say he's, he's come to faith, but he was already was one of them. He was already a seed among them. When he walks back in the door, that's a scandal. That's a crisis. What's going to happen? Now, I'm sure Onesimus was glad that he walked in the door next to Tychicus. Everything he had to say about Paul and how he and Paul are just, you know, tight now, and I love Paul, Tychicus can say it. He has an advocate. He has someone who can speak for him and of him. The authority of Paul is referenced by Tychicus. That formality. Who's Tychicus? He's this guy who ended up working with Paul, who Paul said, I want you to do this. I'm not, I'm not sending justice. I'm not sending more. I'm sending you, okay? And you go and you talk to them and you tell them what's happened here and you encourage them. All that was his authority. Now, this is really, really interesting and beautiful thing. We have this letter, Philemon. The letter Paul wrote because he was saying to Philemon, I want you to send him back to me. I want you to treat him like a brother. I want you to know that I want him for part of, for part of my entourage. I want him to be part of what we're doing. Like Epaphras, who you admire so much. And in that letter, Paul says, I could command you, formality, but I will not. I will remind you of how you, even, you owe your life to me. I'll remind you that we are brothers, like Philemon is now our brother. And it's not bare commands, but that there are these obligations and these recognitions of our calling that make us the family of the Lord, the household of God. Now, all that was true. And Onesimus was right to be glad that Tychicus was there. And Philemon would be right to read a letter from Paul and ask Tychicus his questions. And no, Tychicus can actually tell me. Paul sent him. That this formality and this family, they're not in competition this is how the force of the gospel is applied and the kingdom advanced. Now, th this also comes up in the section of the fellow workers. Um, you know, you might well meet these guys. You might have a conversation with them someday in the great distance. I don't know how to speak of that time or that place or, or um, how much enjoyable each of us will be then much more enjoyable than we are now. But, but these are real particular people who they, they went to be the Lord some 2,000 years ago. And Paul tells them, these people send greetings, people you've never met, and he lists them out. And it's, it's just this simple. Paul is saying, these are also, these are also those of whom you should pray and upon whom you should rely. If John comes to you, if John Mark comes to you, I've told you, receive him like Tychicus. Why? Why? Well, because Paul said to. Well, Paul has good. Yes, Paul has good reasons. 
but it's John Mark. You know that story about this Mark guy from Acts? Like Paul kicked him out? Now, we all know that story because we're Bible readers. But don't you realize how that'd be kind of a rumor? <laughs> like, like, some people heard that, some people hadn't. Well, Paul's just very, John Mark, if he comes, receive him. And we need to understand that as a congregation, we should have this kind of connection to mission, to people set aside by the church. We really should. And there's a poignancy here. Paul says of the first three, these are the only ones of the circumcision that are my fellow workers for the advance of the kingdom. Now, he does not mean that these are the only three Jewish believers in the world. He doesn't mean that. I think there are a few other apostles out there. But Paul is the apostle of the Gentile. Paul is on this extraordinary um, tip of the spear position. He is acting like God is going to change the entire world. That God's promises to the Jewish nation will be fulfilled because the world will stream to the living God. And there are three people who are Jews who say, that sounds right. I'll get on board with you. Not that everyone else disagreed. Not everyone else like, no, that's great, Paul. You go. But these are three men who said, Paul, he is risen. Indeed. You know, Paul, this is Romans 9, he said, and think about this, I would have myself accursed if my Jewish brethren were reconciled to God. Now, you have to understand that part of the way this works is Paul has this understanding that as the nations come in, they will provoke the jealousy of the Jewish people and they will come to faith. So Paul, he's in love with the girl here. And so he's going on a great Amazonian adventure because he knows he will win her heart. It's extraordinary things, this long-suffering patient expectation of the glory of Christ in the gathering of his people. He's going around talking to people who live their lives with little rock gods and bringing them to faith. So poignant. But he was set apart for that. He was made a minister of the living God. And that force of the gospel also is bringing these people together and they're doing this. And the point being, like the Colossians, you have a part in that, far away, in that formality, in that family. And part of what we should seek from God is instruction and opportunity to join in what we call missions. This force is going on in big problems like Onesimus, or marriages. You need that formality in that family. It's going on far away, but it's also going on right next to us. And, and the last part, Paul speaks of formality in family when he speaks about the local situation. Verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. 
in the same way that Paul speaks of them, he far away who they've never met, sharing in the kingdom, he does this sort of obvious thing and says, and there are believers half a day's walk from you, maybe a day. And they're believers in Christ, and you or them are family. A letter I write to you fits them. A letter I write to them fits you. Now, there's all sorts of similarity, the geography and such, but, but just see that. And, and all the more so because the Colossian letter, in many ways, is so specific, so attentive, so rich in detail. Now, what is this other letter from that he sent to the Laodiceans that he wants the Colossians to read too. That's one of those great questions. It's often, and the, the soundest suggestion is that that's the letter of the Ephesians. Now there's a whole lot of things about how that... All I want you to see is that Paul's words, his writings, they carry the authority. And Paul's not simply saying to them, I've told you things and you know that. He says, you should read that letter too. I want you to bring that together. I want your instruction, I want your instruction to be more, greater than. Now it's interesting because there are not the sort of other connections. If there weren't this line here, you wouldn't have thought there was another church in Laodicea. There are references to them, but no involvement in the same undertakings. They're a family with the same business. But most striking here, formality and family, is Archippus. Say to Archippus, who? Y'all, the church. Say to this one guy, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, what is that ministry? You could be an evangelist being sent somewhere. That would be a little bit odd. A little bit odd because it would seem that Paul's manner would be to take that man in, the way he's taking in Anathemus and that he'd be sent by Paul. That would be Paul's exhortation, that of, of his band of um, fellow workers. Now, it's something local. Maybe Archippus is stepping into the position that Epaphras had. Epaphras is richly praised here, which has a lot to do with it. He's not coming back. He's praised, both to, to assure them this guy is not, gone because he doesn't want to be there or because he's not attentive to you. And also to be an example, yes, you want another Epaphras. Perhaps that's what Archippus is. He's this one guy, if you will, that the whole group is standing around him and saying to him, they, with their voices, their faces, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, Archippus could say, why me? Who am I? I mean, Moses did that. He's being set apart for a ministry. That is formality. That is something imposed, an order. 
And Paul wants that man to carry that responsibility with the support of the congregation saying to him, you do that. They're not saying, hey, we'll help you. It's our job to... No, you have this ministry. And, and what you have there in nut is our understanding of ordination of office. This man has responsibility and the rest of the church relies on him so they pray for him that he would do it. There is this formality that is rich because it is family. And there is this family which is enriched because of this formality. You're going to get to have Chuck ask you for the next three weeks. I'm going to get me done. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm taking a little time off from the pulpit. I'm finishing Colossians. I got to preach the whole of Colossians. You said it's a delight to me. Um, do this. Invest in, rely on this formality in this family. Because this is from the Lord. The man who has this ministry receives it from the Lord. This is an act of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Your belief in the Lord Jesus who has taken your penalty, has invested you with his spirit, who has staked a real, more than a pixel, of that, that, that great horizon that is the consummation. He staked that on your life. The glory of Christ is what your history is about. The one that you trust for all that. He gives a ministry to a man in order to do all that in your life. It is by faith that you pray for and rely on and exhort the minister. I assure you, it's only if the Lord Jesus is faithful to you and acts according to his great love for you that any ministry is of value and good in anything. He has imposed this order in order to make his family a delightful place to be at worth advancing. Pray with him. Father, we do ask that you would pour out your spirit on us and glorify your Son, that you would make us rich in all gifts, that we would be richly generous, that we would praise you and bless others. Pray in your Son's name. Amen.